right? It's about being a part of the community so that you're a part of the community because that's ultimately what your success is based on. If your community isn't successful, you won't be either. I don't throw darts at a board. I bet on sure things. Read Sun Tzu, The Art of War. Every battle is won before it's ever fought. Think about it. Welcome to another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Whaler, and today I'm interviewing Chuck Kelly with Eclipse Property Management. Chuck, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Chuck, for those that don't know, tell us a little bit about your background. What market are you in? How many units are you managing? What's your background? How did you get into property management? Well, that's, a, that's actually a really long answer. <laughs> um, so I own Eclipse Property Management. We have about 530 doors, 540, something like that. We're located in Colorado. We have four locations. Our primary office is Alamosa, Colorado, which is kind of a small town. We have an office in Grand Junction, Colorado, and then Salida and Buena Vista, all in Colorado. And it's that's that's the answer to where we at now. But how we got to where we are is much more complicated. Um, I was in the Marine Corps in combat and then I moved into law enforcement, I was a cop and a detective and decided I didn't want to do that anymore because my little girl would grab my leg and she'd say, go catch bad guys, but be careful, okay daddy? And I was just, she'd break my heart like every time I go to work. And I'm like, I'm young enough to change careers. And I had this bright idea that I was going to go to law school. And the local district attorney was like, yes, get your law degree and you're, you're hired. So that's what I was going to do. And, uh, and then that was the plan. I even went to law school classes and like sat in on some. I was ready to do that. And then my mother-in-law died. And we had bought her a house to live in. And all of a sudden we had this extra house we didn't know what to do with. So I called the local uh, property management company um, that we had rented from, we had bought the house from. Like we knew them as a little real estate company. And we said, hey, will you manage this house for us? And they said, no, we're not taking on new clients because our property manager just quit. But you'd be great at it. Why don't you come work for us? And I'm like, yeah, I can do that. My wife's finishing her teaching degree. I'll go do that. So I go into it. I thought I'd do it for a year or so. I went in and uh, loved it. Like all the law enforcement background, dealing with difficult tenants and people, all the you know, legal parts that I loved, like leases and stuff, which was very similar to the law school part. You know, like it was just, it kind of met all my goals and I realized I was pretty bad. So, I worked there for six years and it took me that long to convince the owner to sell me the company. And so what we did was we split the real estate company and I bought the property management half. And that was when we rebranded Eclipse Property Management. That was uh, in 2017. And then, so basically I started that company. It was my wife and I running it. Uh, we had one other person and then we just started growing. We started bringing on new doors. We expanded into new markets. We bought two other property management companies, and here we are. Well, that was a mouthful. There's a lot of background and context that I want to dive into. And why don't we just start with the fun part? Let's start with the law enforcement specifically. You mentioned dealing with tenants, interactions that can be difficult, etc. Most folks don't have that background when they come in. Most folks, the way that they relate to the industry, in part, is defined by those peak stress, peak stress frustration moments 
with tenants. Can you walk me through what skills you acquired and what the application looks like and how you, how you benefit from having that in your background? So when I first started, my mentor who was teaching me, um, she told me, she said, it's a really stressful job. And when, when it gets to that point where it's too stressful, just take a walk. There's a park um, two blocks away from the office. Like, shut everything off, go walk around the block, go around the park, make two laps and come back. And it will de-stress you. And I didn't understand, really. I looked at her like, she's crazy. And I said, hold on just a second. Let me ask a question. I'm like, nobody's shooting at me in this job. And no one dies if I screw up. She said, well, yeah, that's true. And I said, so how stressful a job can this be? And that's always been my context. Like, oh, we have another flood. Or, oh, it's you know a fire. Or whatever. It's like, nobody died. Nobody's shooting at me and no one dies if I screw up. This isn't that hard of a job. And once you realize that context, it's always been easy. And so when I deal with any tenant or anything, I just slow everything down. Like there is no urgency here. This isn't a law enforcement moment or even a military moment. Like nothing here is that urgency. And I say all the time, there's no such thing as an emergency to a property manager. Yet every property manager like freaks out when there's something big like a flood or a fire. It's like, no, 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 you're not the first responder. Wait till tomorrow. Everything can wait. And so that background of the military and law enforcement really helped me see that perspective. And so I've never thought it was a very stressful job. And yet everyone else, you know, is always kind of telling me how it is. You have staff members obviously don't have that training. So what does it look like in practice? You putting those skills to bear on a situation that is going sideways. So I tell them the same thing. I'm like, look, no one's shooting you, and you, no one dies when you screw up. So take, take take something and slow it down. And I always tell them, just slow the situation down. Even if it's a mad owner, if it's a mad tenant, whatever. Just be like, let me do some research. Let me figure this out. Let me make some phone calls, and I'll call you back. And if you can just get them to put that break in there, that pause, then they will calm down. And then the next time you talk to them, everything will be much better. And then you can be the person who says, hey, I've solved your problem. Here's the answer. Uh, and that's always done really well. And so it's just something that I talk to my team about. And once I can get them to understand that mindset, then it's no problem. It's like I trained it into them, even if it's not them going to the military or law enforcement. It's just showing them that they don't have to be stressed out. Have you had moments where you've had tenants or owners yelling and screaming irate over something? Oh yeah, plenty. plenty. I, I can think of, not hundreds, but multiple incidents of that, yeah. Can you give me an example of like peak, the peak of that? We had a tenant one time who, um, the, a tree where a big storm fell and hit her house, like literally crashed into the house. The window. And uh, we did a whole bunch of things. Um, obviously, we even sent out a property manager right away to help mitigate everything. And she had to go to the hospital, and her mother who was living in the house had to go to the hospital. There was all kinds of stuff. And she was super angry that um, a whole bunch of things. She's like, you guys didn't do anything. And of course, we had done all this work. But she didn't see it because she was in the hospital for five days. So she was really angry because we didn't do a bunch of stuff. And so she came into the office literally yelling and screaming at my front desk girl, you know, spit flying screaming. And um, so what I did was I, I hadn't handled the original situation, one of my team had. So I just stepped in, I said, come to the conference room with me, like let's talk this through. And all I did was just listen to her 
let her explain all of it, and she's still screaming at me. And I said, okay, let me explain what happened. Let me tell you what we did. And I just went through all the things we did do, um, and how we you know, worked with the vendors and the electrical company and the first responders on the scene and you know, all these things that we actually did. And at the end, she came out of that meeting literally hugging everyone, like giving my front desk guy a kiss, like on the cheek, she's like, oh, I love you guys so much. And everybody was like, you went into that meeting and she was literally spit, mad, like spit flying mad and you came out of it and she was, you know, giving everybody hugs, what did you do? And I'm like, all I did was listen to her and then tell her why she was wrong in a very polite way. And that's all it took. Are you familiar with the idea of conscious versus unconscious competence? No. Conscious competence is something that you deeply understand and you can verbally articulate. I'm good at it, I can tell you how I'm good at it. Unconscious competence is something that I'm really good at and I don't really know how I'm good at it, it's just kind of intuitive. With your law, law enforcement background training, I'm seeing the application and I'm seeing the upside that you're getting, but I'm imagining for somebody at home that's listening, it still sounds a little fantastical of like, all I have to do is listen. Is there any law, for, law enforcement specific metaphors or, or training that could like further flesh that out? Because when I, in my experience, when I see law enforcement on video in like you know YouTube heated videos with some there's somebody screaming, etc., there is that tone. I, I would call it almost like a law enforcement calm tone, where somebody is screaming and irate, and the law enforcement member is clearly not responding. What is that formal training? What do law enforcement officers get told that produces that consistent behavior in response? Um, I, so there's a book, uh, it's called Verbal Judo, and I don't remember the author's name, I apologize, but I make, I don't make, but I, I encourage my staff to read it. And it's a law enforcement book, it's written by a law enforcement officer. And the idea is that, um, just like in real judo practice, you, someone comes at you, uh, judo is not like you stand there, brace yourself and, you know, kick them or something. Judo is you take the energy that they're coming at you with and redirect it, you know, and throw them on the ground or whatever. And verbal judo is the same idea is you take the energy that they're coming at you with and redirect it. Um, you don't try to create a wall against them. You let them come at you and then you just redirect them to wherever you need them to go. And so that's a concept that I've talked with my team about at length and then had them read the book because I think in law enforcement, the, the real valued officers are not the ones you see on TV who are, you know, getting in fights or shootings or whatever. It's the officers who can show up to any situation and de-escalate. You know, there's two guys about to fight and the cop can go in and just calm them down and, you know, get everybody to be, you know, on the same page or, uh, can go into, you know, arrest someone and talk them into handcuffs is what we call it. And um, I have a good story about that if you want to hear please, it. Please, please. Um, there was this guy, I won't mention his name, but uh, he was really well known to law enforcement. Um, everybody in the in town knew him. And then this was back when I was a street cop. And uh, he, he had never been arrested without fighting cops. He was just well known for that. He was a state wrestling champion. So this guy knew how to fight. And he loved fighting and he loved fighting cops and he would always go to jail for it. And it was a pride thing for him. He was like big macho guy, like, you know, look at me, look how good I am kind of thing. Well, I knew he had a, a warrant and uh, I was doing a walkthrough at Walmart of all places and he was in the checkout and I knew him and he knew me 
Uh, and, and I was like, hey, Stephen, you've got a, uh, a warrant. Um, you're under arrest. Put your hands behind your back. And he steps away from the, the register and he looks at me and he squares off with me. And he's like, Kelly, it's just you. You think you're going to arrest me by yourself? And by now, a little crowd is starting to form, right? And I just looked at him and I said, you know, Stephen, no. I said, here's what's going to happen. You're going to fight me and I'm going to take an ass beating. That's just no question about it. You're going to take me, no question. But before you do, I'm going to get on the radio and every cop is going to come this way. And at the end of the day, you're going to go to jail and a whole bunch of extra charges, right? For, you know how this goes. I'm like, or you can just put your hands behind your back. We'll go out to the car. I'll take you to jail. You'll bond out in an hour. Like your choice. I'm willing to take the, the beating you're going to get me because I know I can't take you. Your call. And he's like, Kelly, you're a stand-up dude. And he turned around and put his hands behind his back. And the reason that it worked was just because I let him win. I let him have that pride. Mm -hmm. I didn't need the pride. I didn't need to beat him in you know, front of everybody. I won, but I let him, you know, have that energy of winning. And when I had him in the car, I called out on the radio that I had him in custody and every cop was like, I'm in route. And I'm like, no, no, he's in my car. You can stand down. They're like, wait, what? Like you arrested him by yourself. And I'm not a great fighter. That's not something I'm known for, but I'm really good at talking people down and deescalating a situation. And, um, I think you can do the same thing in property management. And the biggest thing is you just let them talk. You listen to them. You take that energy that they have and you just redirect it a little bit. Until it's down, until it's, and then you can actually have a more rational conversation. Right. Beautiful. Let's keep going with this metaphor. I have a question that I don't ever imagine to ask a guest other than in this context. And so I'm going to take advantage of it. Firearms, leasing agents, people that are going in homes, people that are doing inspections um, in asset classes and neighborhoods and locations where there's a real intangible threat. It's scary, Chuck, every once in a while to see that somebody, somebody died, somebody got taken advantage of, somebody was put in a situation. And as an employer, I mean, I cannot imagine what that feels like to have sent someone somewhere and to see something horrific happen to them. What are your thoughts and your opinions on maintaining physical safety for people that are going into occasionally unsafe places? So we're, we're all located in Colorado, which is very much a gun friendly state. Uh, you can carry a firearm to the grocery store if, as long as it's open. Anyone can, um, even if you're not from Colorado. And you see that all the time, especially in hunting season. You know, it's just, it's a normal thing for us. Firearms aren't, weird. They're just part of life. And so if any of my people want to carry a firearm, I let them, it's fine. They're welcome to do that. They just need to have a concealed weapons permit, which anyone can get. It's super easy. I have mine. Um, my wife has hers. Our best friend has one. Like it's just a normal thing where we're from. Um, and if, an, if they want to carry a weapon, then they're welcome too. Um, I personally don't anymore. Um, this is a personal choice for me. When I left law enforcement, um, it's really hard to turn that switch off and stop being a cop. And one of the ways that I did that was I said, I'm going to stop carrying a gun because I had carried a gun in the military all my entire law enforcement career. And it, it was like the thing that made me a cop, if you will. And I said, I'm going to turn that off. I'm going to stop carrying. And so I did. And I've never felt like I was uh, in a 
dangerous place or a position, but I can also handle myself pretty well. So I never really worried about it. Uh, my staff is a different story. Obviously, I'm, I, I have a lot of people and I really concerned about their safety, right? I want to make sure that they're doing the job safely. So we've had conversations about safety and what to do in this situation. And we have a part of our policy. We have a plan on if something unsafe happens, here's how you handle it. You know, you call someone or uh, you ask one of the other people to come out of their office, you know, if you're at the front desk or something. And we've had a couple scary tenants who've threatened us. It's like, if you see this person, you immediately leave the front desk, even if, you know, uh, before they come in the door, you just go down, go somewhere else, call someone, like, you know, whatever. Um, but if they want to carry a weapon, we totally allow that. The biggest issue is trying not to put ourselves in a situation where we would need that. So if you're going to mm -hmm. go on a showing, you don't go alone. You know, all those normal real estate safety tips about um, doing things uh, safely from the beginning, not doing showings in person with someone you've never met. They need to come to the office first, that kind of there's There's a whole bunch of tips about that. Um, and then if they want to carry, they can. Mm. So you're sympathetic and it's something that some of your staff takes advantage of. They do, yeah. Let's move on to some other topics and talk about the business more broadly. In terms of the trajectory of the business, how long did it take you to get to, you mentioned 550 units? Yeah, I think we dub well, we started with about 200 and some, uh, some change when we launched in 2017, the end of 2017, when I bought the company. Mm -hmm. And I bet we hit 500 within three years. Uh, it was a, it was some growth naturally, some acquisitions, but we were all in small little locations. So we, uh, the markets we were in are pretty saturated and we have a good chunk of the rentals there. There wasn't a lot of growth. We actually just recently realized that Grand Junction is like the real market that we can grow in. There's a lot of opportunity there. So we uh, just hired a BDM and put him into Grand Junction and he just started and he's already like week one or something. He's already signed three new doors. So he's really doing great. And there's lots and lots of opportunity there. And I wish I would have done that years ago. How disparate are these smaller markets? How far away are they? So that's a challenge. So from Alamosa, um, if you're familiar with Colorado, it's the very Southern part, kind of in the middle. And if you, that's where our primary location is. That's where I live. And if you go north of Alamosa, about an hour, 15 minutes, that's where Salida is. And then if you go another hour or 45 minutes north of there, that's where Buena Vista is. So all three of those offices are within two hours of each other. Grand Junction though, is quite a ways away. It's about a four hour drive from Alamosa to Grand Junction. And so that's pretty separated. So how are you thinking about expanding in a market like that? Well, um, this is a, a more complicated answer. Um, Grand Junction's always been almost like the redheaded stepchild for my company because it's so far away. So I've gone up there many times, uh, but I never gave it enough attention because it's so far away. It's hard to do that. So I had a property manager up there um, and she kind of ran it and that's about all I needed. She was when I purchased her company so she could have some support. And so she was working for me and was her and her daughter. Um, but she was 
part of our company now. So I didn't really need to oversee, oversee it very much. She just kind of kept doing what she'd always been doing, just under our banner instead of on her own. And then last year, basically she wanted to retire. And so her daughter took over. And then her daughter was like, yeah, I'm moving to Pueblo. And I'm like, well, now I'm going to have to hire a new property manager. The good news was at the same time, my Alamosa team was really starting to rock. Like I had a really good team down there. They were handling everything. I wasn't having to be involved in the day-to-day there. So I made the decision to essentially move to Grand Junction. Uh, We took my camper up and I was living in the camper. We hired a new property manager, training them, that kind of stuff. Um, And back and forth, like every week. And I was able to hire a new person. She just started a few months ago and got her training. I brought her, she's one of the ones we brought to uh, NARPM this year so she can get some resources and some networking and kind of see what the industry's like and see all the cool vendors and whatnot. And she's just doing amazing. But part of it is because I'm there now. Whereas before it was a long ways away and I wasn't able to give it the attention it needed. But now I can. And I think now it's doing uh, much better and really starting to rock and roll. And having a BDM there too is just working out really well. So does this BDM only handling the activity in that market or across markets? Correct. Right now it's just that market. Uh, I just have him focusing on Grand Junction. We talked about having him handle leads from other areas, but one of the things that I'm having my BDM do that maybe it's a little different than how most people handle it is my BDM is handling the process all the way up to finding a tenant. So they're involved in setting up the property. They're involved in obviously making sure the management agreement gets signed, but even all the way up to making sure that, hey, we have it listed. Does the listing look correct? Hey, we have some applicants. Okay, we're signing a lease. Uh, and once a lease is signed, the BDM is no longer involved. So even the, to the point of going and taking pictures of the property, all of that, the BDM's handling. Because it's to me, it's about the relationship with the owner. That salesperson, the BDM, has that relationship. And really the handoff is, um, that to the property manager is happens when we put a tenant in and it's like, Hey, we, we've performed for you now and I'm going to hand you off to the property manager. Who's going to do the ongoing relationship. And we decided that the best time to do that was when everybody's super happy. We, we listed it. We just got you a tenant. Everybody's really like on cloud nine. And then we can work on that relationship with the property manager. But if anything goes wrong, up to that point, maybe it's listed too long, we haven't found a tenant or whatever. We really want that problem solving of the relationship to be with the person who started the relationship. So that's why the BDM's involved in that entire process because they're, they have that relationship with the owner and we don't want it to be the new guy who the owner doesn't really know that doesn't have a relationship trying to call the owner to troubleshoot, make, th- make them happy or whatever. So it doesn't make sense for the BDM to be in a market that's four hours away because they need to be in the property. They need to be taking pictures. They need to have that relationship. So we're not, we're not um, letting him handle leads for other markets yet. So is that, do you anticipate scaling and keeping that model the way that it is even past the point of that market being at some modicum of scale? So yes, is the short answer that this is the test right? If this goes really well, six months from now, we're like, man, this is working exactly like we thought. Then the plan is to hire another BDM. 
because that other BDM could probably handle Alamosa, Salida, and Buena Vista. That, that's all within an hour and a half drive or so. So really those relationships could exist. And I think you could have two BDMs for the two primary markets. And I think that would be very successful. What do you find unique about managing in really tiny markets? Relationships. I think that's a big difference. Everyone knows you. Like if you go to Alamosa and you say, hey, ask anyone, you know, hey, I'm looking for a rental. Who do I call? There's two property management companies in the town, right? Everyone knows the two. And you don't have to go to Google and search. You don't have to compare Google ratings, which you can. Um, we're the best, by the way. Um, but the truth is, is just everybody knows them. And they know us and they know our competitor. And so like I've gone to lunch with our competitor many times because it's just the two of us. When you're in a really big market like Denver, you know, you're trying to find one out of 100. And when you're in a small market, you're trying to find one out of two. And in some of our markets, like Buena Vista and Slida, there's nobody else who does property management. So you have to be good and you have to have that relationship with the owner because you're going to see them at the grocery store, you know, that kind of thing. And I think it's really important. And I think our model, it's literally in my mission statement. It's about building real relationships. And I think the opposite is true or the same thing is true for tenants as well. Like you're going to see them at the grocery store. They're going to know you. And they're going to come up to you and say, I would never rent from anyone but you. Or they're going to say, you're awful. I would never rent from you. And that's going to get out and get around. And so you have to do a really good job. Whereas in a big market, you may not even recognize your tenant if they're in the grocery store with you. Um, but you will in a small market. That connection that you just mentioned, obviously, is key in every market. I can get the uniqueness of the fact that there's, it sounds like there's just some default inertia. Do you, do you feel like that the way that you approach marketing is sales and sales and marketing is different because of that kind of natural inertia? Is there a steady stream of properties coming into the portfolio just simply through word of mouth? Yeah, I think word of mouth has been our number one uh, tool for ever. Uh, Our biggest growth mechanism has always been word of mouth. However, um, I think we got lucky, right, in all of the really small markets like Alamosa and Slide and Buena Vista because everybody knows. But in Grand Junction, it's a different market. It is bigger. And I don't think we can operate entirely on word of mouth. And since this is all new to us, this model of having a BDM and stuff, now we're looking at other opportunities for do we do advertising? Like we've done advertising in the past and it's never really meant anything. It's never really got us anything because word of mouth has always worked really well. But now that we're in a different market, now I think we do need to do some advertising and some other ways of getting leads coming in. And that's something that we're just starting to experiment with. How is the operation structured? Portfolio, departmental? So it's basically departmental. So we have um, remote team members uh, in Mexico who handle like the accounting part, uh, all the application stuff, drafting the leases, uh, even coordinating maintenance. All of that is all handled remotely. And then the property managers on the ground, we call them boots on the ground. You know, they're handling all the stuff that requires someone to be there physically, like a move in meeting, or if there's a major maintenance issue and someone needs to get eyes on it, then the property manager will handle it, that kind of stuff. Uh, handling the problems. And so what we really call it is the relationship is handled by the property manager with the tenants, the vendors, and the owners. 
and the remote stuff, all the, the work that can be done remotely is all handled by our remote team. And so it's kind of a mix because we have property manager portfolios, like our property manager in Grand Junction handles the Grand Junction units and our property manager in Alamosa handles all the Alamosa units, but they're also not handling everything. They're only handling the boots on the ground stuff and the rest of it's being handled by our remote team. And tell me a little bit about your experience with remote. Was that something that you, like most people, had some initial hesitations with? Where did you apply them in terms of the skill set? Any feedback for folks that are still kind of contemplating or wondering if that's for them? So um, this is an interesting story, too. So I was really apprehensive about remote team members. Years ago, I was just like, no, no, it's never going to work as good. You know, it's just like everyone, right? And we were struggling and I had um, a friend of mine um, came out and he uh, looked at my business and my model and just gave me some, you know, outside the box, not involved in the company advice. And one of the things he told me was like, your, your people are really struggling because they're overwhelmed and they could really use a remote person. And, and I was like, well, I don't know. And I, I don't think I'm going to find any work for them to do. And he said, look, here's the thing. And he, he had just started a staffing company that does this, you know, remote, finding a remote person. So he's kind of trying to sell his own product, but we're also friends. So he's like, look, I'm going to hook you up. Here's what we're going to do. And I got super lucky on this one. He said, I have someone we just sold. He just sold his property management business and he had a remote employee who uh, knew Appfolio because that's the software we're on and uh, knew RingCentral and all the software we were using. So the training would be minimal. And this person um, just had a baby, so only wanted to work 20 hours a week, which is also kind of rare. And he said, look, I'll, how about you have her do a temporary you know, three-month deal or something. If it doesn't work out, whatever. But I'd like to find a position for her. And, and I said, okay, yeah, let's try it. Well, we brought her on. And within a month, I was like, yeah, I want another one like full time, let's bump her to full and let's get another one. And we found so much work for them to do. And one of the things that really shocked me about remote team members is how much harder they work. Like they get more done than a domestic employee, you know, sitting next to me in the same office ever. Like it's incredible how much more work they do. But I think one of the big differences between successful and non-successful remote people is how you include them. Mm. And I, I've always felt like my remote team members are not um, a VA. I never call them that. I don't like that term. I like remote team member. So what we have done is we include them on the website. So they're a team member, like their pictures on there, their names on there. Like they are a part of our team, just like anyone else. Since we're spread out in four offices anyway, a lot of our teams are people are remote. Mm -hmm. Even my chief operations officer lives in Kentucky, right? She's in charge of a remote team and she's remote herself. She used to live in Alamosa, but she's in charge of a remote team so she can be wherever she wants. Well, at the end, what we realized was by including them, they feel like a part of the team. Uh, we've even brought them up to NARPM before. Um, we've, like, we include them like they're just a part of the team, but remote. So we started doing other things too. Like we meet every day. We, have, we call it the daily huddle. Every morning at 8.30, anyone who's working that day jumps on a huddle and um, you could do it on your phone, you could do it on your computer, whatever. And it's just a quick, we have a small little agenda. What's everybody working on today? 
does anybody need anything from anyone else? You know, and the remote people are on there, but so are the property managers, everyone else. But we're all remote to each other anyway, because the property manager in Alamosa doesn't meet in person with the property manager in Grand Junction because they're spread out by four hours. So it, it, it just works. And so we built our entire company really around this remote idea. And then in, on Fridays, we have water cooler time where uh, if you're available, you log in and you're not allowed to talk about work. It's 1.30 in the afternoon and you can't talk about like work stuff. If you need to talk to someone about work, you have to go to a different chat. This is just to talk about weekend plans or you know, whatever you would talk normally about like sitting around a water cooler. And that's been really successful too because it makes them feel included and you get to know them a little bit more on a personal level. Uh, and I think that's been very successful. But ultimately what I think really comes down to success or failure with remote team members is training. Because I've referred people to get a remote team member before and, and they're like, yeah, it just didn't work out. I'm like, how, how did it not work out? Like, tell me what went wrong. And every time it comes down to the fact that they weren't training them like they would if they were sitting in the office next to them because they're out of sight, out of mind. And so they weren't spending the same time that's like, oh, let me show you what Appfolio is or let me show you how to handle this situation or here's what I want you to do. And when they're in the office with you, you're constantly thinking about that. Mm -hmm. And I think most people just don't have the right training plan or they don't realize how much it's going to take. It's just like training another person. They're just not next door to you or in the same office as you. I like the way you called out that feedback. I tried a remote team member. It didn't work out. That's a really, it's an extremely indulgent line of thinking. I tried advertising. Didn't work. I tried working out. Didn't work. Well, what, what exactly didn't work? Right. <laughs> what can we intuit or infer didn't work? You know, what were the odds that that was user error versus that the premise itself is somehow flawed? You mentioned the word success a minute ago. What does success look like for you in your business? Do you have a specific goal and aspiration? Is there a number of doors you want to get to? Is there a staff size you want to get to? How are you thinking about the trajectory of where you want to take the business from here? You know, that's a really interesting question. I don't, I don't know that I've put enough thought into that. I probably should do more. I would say success for me was being able to provide a strong, supportive company for my team. I had this realization. I used to think employees worked for me. Uh, that's how I, I, you know, until I became an entrepreneur and, you know, started having a couple companies. I, that's how I thought it was, right? Oh, I'm the boss. They work for me. And then when I started getting into it, now you know we have a lot of employees, I realized that that's not how it is. I work for them. And so one of the goals of the company is to, I want to be strong and I want to be there for them so that they're not you know like uh, worried about, oh my gosh, is the company going to survive? Or how big are we? Or am I going to lose my job tomorrow? And I think that success for me is having a strong company that supports the employees in a way that you know it's always going to be there and you're not worried about that. I'm, I'm not at all, but I want it to feel like very strong and supportive. And then the other piece to success for me is that I wanted to get out of the day to day and be able to work on the business and not in the business. And part of that was having great team members. And we're, we're getting to that point right now where like, for example, in Alamosa, I have such a great team there that I don't have to do the day to day. 
when there's a problem they don't know how to handle, they'll call me and say, Chuck, I need some advice. How do, how do you do this? And I don't really have to get involved. And I love that. And that's success for me is having a business, not a job. And um, I really enjoy that part of success. Talk to me about mentorship with, with team members. How would you define your style of leadership? How have you learned and grown as a leader over this organization? So I used to think that property management was a really easy job and just about anybody could do it. And that's not the case. And I think one of the things that we learned was that the most effective tool for training a new property manager was just to put them with me. And so I would share my office and we designed my, redesigned my office so there were two desks and the, the property manager who was training is there. And I'm like, okay, I'm gonna let you handle this situation, but I'm still present. Mm. And just being right there so that they might be on the phone with an owner and they get off the phone and I'm like, okay, let me tell you a couple things. Let me give you a couple points you could have done different. Or you know, there's a maintenance issue and they'll just turn around and say, hey Chuck, can, what would you do in this situation? I don't know how to handle this. And by having that connection of being right in the same room, it really speeds up the experience piece, which I think is what most property management is. It's just having the experience and the comfort level so that you're able to handle those different situations. And, and the training piece is just being available right there. Mm. And where you can, even when I'm sitting there working on email or something and they're on the phone, I'm still listening to them. I can still hear and I can be like, yeah, okay, let me just give you a couple of pointers or tips or whatever. And you can just help guide them uh, through the getting experience so it's less painful. Let's talk about property management as a career. My experience is that a lot of PMs, the way it's discussed, a lot of company owners, when they're informally, casually, not trying to sell it, but discussing the role, don't do a great job of selling it. It's not described in terms that would make it sound like a compelling or an interesting career. It does sound more like a job that has have quite a few challenges and yeah, somebody could figure it out. <clears throat> but a career is something that to some degree is rewarding for its own sake. It has trajectory, there's pride, etc. How would you sell or pitch the extent to which somebody can have a fulfilling and a rewarding career in property management? That's a great question. Um, I don't know. Um, I think for me, most of the property management job is how different it is, how challenging it can be, but also how rewarding it can be. I love helping people. It's one of my favorite things. And so when you can help people find a home and help them you know, find a great place to live and then also help them keep it nice, um, like I won't manage properties that are ghettos. My rule is I won't manage a property that I wouldn't live in. Um, and I tell all my people that if you wouldn't live here, don't bring it on. Like, I'm not saying it has to be big enough or anything, but if it's nasty, like we're not managing it. Like I'm not putting my name on it and you shouldn't either. And I think it's nice to be able to help people uh, find good houses and make and keep them nice and have that relationship. And I want you to be, you know, nice enough, if you will, with your tenants, where when you see them at the grocery store, they're like, Hey, how's it going? You know, you're my property manager. And I think that that is rewarding because you, you establish those real relationships and you can be the hero, you know, with the Cape who swings in and says, Oh, you have a big water leak. Let me fix that. Mm. You know, I'll get my guys out there right away or whatever. And you can be the superhero. And I think that once you get enough of those, uh, 
under your belt where you've been a superhero a few times, it becomes a very rewarding job that can turn into a career. I've never really thought about how to pitch it as a career, um, but I think most people who get into property management either get in and get right out because it's too stressful or they don't like it or what, what they don't know how to do it. Uh, or they, you know, we're really trying to get into real estate sales and we'll do this on the side and they're not good at it. Or, you know, it's, if you look at like NARPA, I mean, you look at all the people here, it's the same people over and over again. Right. And it's like, Oh, that guy's been doing it for 20 years or that guy's been doing it for, you know, 14 or whatever. And you realize that it is a long-term thing. It's either you're in and out or you're in it for a really long time. And I think it's because, it, you can make good money in it and it's also very re rewarding and you can get that um, sense of purpose and pride from a job like that. I can hear your connection to the community coming through. How do you think about a property management company's impact and connection to its local community? Well, I think you're providing a really important service because you're connecting people with a place to live, right? That's, that's ultimately a huge thing everyone needs a place to live and they can either live in the ghetto with the guy who doesn't know what he's doing, doesn't know the law, you know, goes in and throws all your stuff out on the lawn if you don't pay your rent because he doesn't know that's illegal, right? Or turns off the water because you, you're, you know, a day late on your rent because he doesn't know that that's illegal, that kind of stuff. Or they can have a really great relationship with their property manager and you can help find that perfect place for them. And, I'm not saying it's always going to be that way, right? We have all had those tenants that don't see you as their superhero. But at the end of the day, you're providing that service. And I think being a, an active part of the community is a, a very rewarding thing. For example, um, our community is very small. We have this thing called Summerfest every June where uh, it's like, you know, the big park in town has like a whole bunch of booths where, you know, people have food. and It's almost like a little carnival or um, not nah, carnival is not the right word, but it's almost like a, um, a fair there's, you know, rides and stuff, but it's, you know, lots of booths and stuff and it's really hot. And so we always rent a booth and, um, and then we have a couple tents and all I do is I take, get all the outdoor furniture I can and put it in under there. And then I have a bunch of shade and some fans and we give away free water and we just get, provide a place for people to get out of the sun, sit and visit with us have a free water, we have cornhole and uh, some games for the kids to play. And it's like, we're not selling anything. We're not um, trying to push anything. It's just come in here and get out of the sun. And people are always like, oh, what do you do? Eclipse property management. And we have conversations and I think you're connecting with the community. And if nothing else, they're seeing your logo, right? So it's good. Um, or there's, um, there's a parade in our town every, every few months. And so we're actually building a float right now so we can be in the parade, not selling anything, just so we can throw candy to the kids because we love that kind of stuff, right? It's about being a part of the community so that you're a part of the community because that's ultimately what your success is based on. If your community isn't successful, you won't be either. What advice would you have for somebody that's early in this business, 20, 30, 40, 50 doors, and they're just getting clued into the fact that this can actually become a business. It can transcend simply becoming owning a job and really become an entity with team members and structure. What counselor advice would you have for somebody that's catching that vision, but doesn't quite know how to do it? 
Yeah, what you're what you're really asking me is, if you could go back to when you were 50 doors, what would you tell yourself? And I think one of the things that I failed at, and I, th- I see happen a lot, is a lot of us try to create it all around us. Like I wanted to be the face of Eclipse Property Management. It's like, look at Chuck. Chuck's the relationship. And so I would have a relationship with the owners. And that was easy when we were 50 doors, right? I knew every owner. I knew every tenant. And it became very difficult as we started to grow because everybody expected me. They're like, I don't want to talk to you. I know you're my property manager, but I want to talk to Chuck. And that just became very difficult. So I would say, don't build the business around you. Recognize that you're going to quickly need support. You're going to need a team. You're going to need maybe a remote person, maybe even a front desk person, maybe you get big enough property managers. So don't build it around you because that's easy when you're, especially when you're small, build it around the brand or around the service you're providing and recognize that you own a job until it becomes a business. And it's never a business if you're still doing the day to day. So instead of building it around Chuck Kelly, I want, I I've had to re redo it and have it be, you know, like, Oh, you might talk to your account, our accounting person to answer that question, or let me have you talk to your property manager. And that was a very difficult transition. Um, and I wish I would have done that better. And when you're at 50 doors, you think, Oh, I can do this all forever. But I think you quickly will need support, even if it's just a remote team member. And so I would say, build it not around yourself. And then the other thing I would say is recognize that you are going to need support and start that sooner than you think. Uh, it will, your sanity will, will be much higher if you have remote people at the beginning handling some of the stuff you don't want to do or you're not good at. And it makes it a lot easier if you build it with the intent of you know, all these other positions that you'll have someday. Like to the point where my business coach even said, like, write out your um, organization chart. And instead of it just being like me, because, you know, at the beginning, it's just you, write out every job you do and then put your name in every box and then identify the boxes you want to replace with other people at first. And when you look at it as an organization that might have 20 roles, right, and you're doing all 20 of them instead of just an organization that's like one box and one name, you realize that, oh, I can just take this accounting piece that I don't like doing and I can hire someone to do that. Or maybe you hire someone who can handle five of the boxes at first and then you can start splitting them off as you grow. And I think thinking of the business that way, instead of thinking of it like a one-man show and then trying to painfully cut boxes out as you grow and give them to other people, I think just thinking about that in the front end is, um, is just a sets you up for success. That's some great counsel. And we'll leave it there. Appreciate <laughs> you coming on. I love what you're hearing up to. And I love to hear your connection to the community that you're in the way that you're serving and supporting it. Thanks for coming on, Chuck. Thank you. Jordan here asking you, what do you got? What is a question you want to ask me? Can you stump me? Can you throw me something hard? perplexing, vexing, something you feel tied up in knots with, throw it at me. 
I'll do my best to try and answer that question, to dissect it, to parse out the nuance and maybe help you get a bit more clarity. I'm looking for questions as the basis for creating content and you're looking for answers as the basis for clarity and wouldn't it be perfect if those two things matched up? Drop a comment, send me, send me an email, jordan at leadsimple.com. Let's stay in the conversation. Peace.